Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Wednesday, January 10th, 2024, and today will be better than yesterday. I'm Buster Only, working from my home in Montana. Taylor Schwenk is working from the Schwenk Studios uh, back in Connecticut. And Taylor, breaking news to the public, uh, the Schwenk Studios will be closed down for a time because you're going to become a daddy here. Yes, yes. We've talked about this on the podcast before, um, but we, my wife and I, we posted it to the internet, you know, got to let everyone know. You're, you're, a, you're a close friend, Buster, so obviously I told you personally. That's no shot who I didn't tell personally, but regardless, it's out there. I'm going to be a dad. Going to need some advice from you and Hembo as well. Hembo, his data-driven approach, I'm, I'm kind of into that right now. <laughs> oh, man. man. I can just tell you, I, I compile a list of dad mistakes Okay. Oh, this is good. Uh, oh my gosh. Yeah. Every year when my family, we rent a place, uh, as you know, up in Lake George. And one of the nights we turn over the, the back porch after dinner mm-hmm. to all the kids to tell bad parenting stories. <laughs> and, and I've got my daughter, Sydney is 24. Jake is 19. Uh, and so I've collected a lot of bad parenting stories and you're welcome to learn from any of those as we go. <laughs> oh yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to need it, man. <laughs> But congratulations. Are you saving up on some sleep? Doing my best. Yeah, definitely like soaking in, sleeping in on the weekends and, you know, staying up late without any repercussions. So it'll all be to an end here very soon. But I'm I'm taking advantage at the moment. All right. So this morning, ESPN announced its Sunday night uh, broadcast schedule early in the season. We don't have all the dates all the way through the year because we'll adapt and adjust depending on which teams are playing well, which teams are not. But the early season schedule is set. Uh, we're going to open it, our Sunday night schedule with the Dodgers home game against the Cardinals on March 31st. This is about nine, 10 days after the first two broadcasts of the season when the Dodgers are playing San Diego in South Korea. We're going to be doing those two games. I think Carl Ravitch and Eduardo Perez will be over there. Uh, and then we're also going to do the Dodgers home game against the Padres on April 14th. The Dodgers are the talk of this offseason with all the money they've spent. They've outspent all the other teams combined in terms of free agent dollars. Uh, We're going to be talking with Paul Ambikides about what kind of prohibitive favorite they are to win the World Series. We got news on Tuesday that the Cubs are moving closer to a deal with Shota Imanaga, uh, left-hander from Japan. Uh, There were reports that that deal was done that was not accurate as of this morning. Uh, is what I was told, but it looks like that that uh, that's what's going to happen. The Yankees are talking to Marcus Stroman, among other free agents. It'll be interesting to see if they get that deal done. The Mariners the other day traded Robbie Ray to the Giants for Mitch Haniger, Anthony DiScalfani. Uh, this is the the Mariners basically trading Robbie Ray. You know, in the first season after he had Tommy John surgery and trying to get two guys that could help them in 2024 in Haniger. And Di Scalafani Haniger, of course, uh, had some uh, nice seasons for the Mariners before. Speaking of the Mariners, ex-Mariner Teoscar Hernandez the other day reached a one-year $23.5 million deal with the Dodgers. Good Lord, their lineup is stacked. Michael Brantley, a great pro, retired after 15 seasons, uh, 1,445 regular season games, career 298 batting average. Uh, he was known as a, a absolutely a, a force in clubhouses. He, uh, I know Kyle Tucker, for example, the Astros' right fielder, maybe the, one of the most underrated players in baseball, really looks up to him. Hein Bloom, 
who was let go as the head of baseball operations for by the Red Sox at the end of uh, the 2023 season, was hired to be an advisor by the St. Louis Cardinals. The Marlins hired trailblazer Rachel Balkebeck uh, as a farm director. She spent the last two years managing in the Dodgers farm system. With uh, Dylan Cease, the latest is that uh, you know they continue to talk with other teams. I'm sure the Red Sox are involved. I bet the Yankees have been involved. Uh, Chris Getz, who's a general manager, said that the conversations are ongoing. Uh, he said to reporters, it could be in the offseason when we make the trade. It could be at the deadline. It could be in May. There are just so many different factors when you're talking about 29 other clubs. I promise you, he's going to get traded before the start of the season. Sean Manaya was signed by the Mets, two years, $28 million. Zach Plesak agreed to a one-year, $1 million deal with the Angels. He'll have an opportunity to pitch there. Uh, the, the district attorney's office in Los Angeles County announced that uh, it will not file felony charges against ex-Dodger Julio Arias, who's currently a free agent. Uh, if you're wondering if Arias is going to pitch at the beginning of the 2024 season, remember now that his criminal case uh, investigation has been resolved, this is when Major League Baseball will first get an opportunity to speak with him about what happened. He's already had one domestic violence um, suspension in his past 20 games, and it looks like he's going to be facing another. So it may be a long time before we see him on a Major League mound. Wander Franco was released from jail amid the probe about whether he had an inappropriate relationship with a 14-year-old girl. Uh, and he has been told he needs to check in with authorities in Dominican Republic every month, which has led a lot of people to believe that it's going to be a long time before we see him on a Major League Baseball field, if ever again. Taylor, what else you got? Well, Hellbuster, let's uh, let's transition from our, our police blotter there. Um, yeah, no kidding. The, the College Game Day podcast. Uh, we closed out the the 2023 college football season on Monday night. Reese and Pete, they did a show on the field. I uh, saw that. Confetti. I saw that, that, yeah. that. You know, you tweeted it out, I think, or, mm -hmm. you know, it was, it was sent out. A, a video link it was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. They did, a, they did a great job. Shout out to my guy, Chris Cologne, on the ground. Uh, capturing that um so that was a really good episode you should check it out you should watch it on youtube for sure uh on the heels of our trip to the rose bowl where we did a lot of good content as well so i'm really uh excited about that show right now and actually let's let's you know we're gonna do bleacher tweets here uh you and i recording that in a minute but uh, a related bleacher tweet to all this um amy chapman she asked she was like oh you know the rose bowl thing looks cool uh what were what are the biggest games you guys have ever been to and i haven't been to that many high stakes games but what about you buster what's something really cool and high stakes that you saw with your own eyeballs in the stadium game seven 2001 world series okay uh, there it is <laughs> you know Easy. i mean the post 9 11 there was just so much going on it was so much attention to that world series uh amazing play in games three four and five and then game seven uh, and I wound up doing a book that was centered with uh, Game Seven of the World Series uh, as the backbone. You know, a lot of other big moments, but I don't know if I could, if you could get bigger than that, in part because of what happened uh, in September of that year. Mm -hmm. It just framed everything. It was the context for everything, all the conversation in the country and in that World Series. Dogs are an important part of our lives, and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you got to check out NextGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NextGuard Plus chews provide one-and-done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, 
prevents heartworm disease. Plus, it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef-flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NextGuard Plus Chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Jumping into the numbers. This is Himbo Knows on Baseball Tonight. Himbo, of course, is Paul Embikides, the highest paid sidekick in the history of broadcasting. Himbo, how are you doing this week? Uh, I'm doing great. It was uh, it was paid to my attention this week that because of all the deferrals in my contract, I can yeah. create tax loopholes, which is absolutely marvelous to make sure that I don't have to you know pay any taxes because Uncle Sam always tries taking way too much out of my paycheck. Yet another reason why Taylor Schwink and my representation did a bang up job in creating this contract. Good. You know what? Uh, I, I hear you. And then it's the first time that I've thought of, geez, what if somebody took all this contract stuff seriously? <laughs> it reminds me of i don't know if you remember this when Derek jeter hit what was it the career hit number three thousand or something like that and some kid caught the ball and he was a college student and he wanted just to give Derek the ball he was incredibly gracious and the irs came after him right you remember that yes i do uncle sam is no fun he doesn't care if you're in school he doesn't care if you have twins he doesn't care at all uncle sam wants his yeah. So just to be, be, make it absolutely clear, there is no contract. There is no deferrals. It's just our way to make fun of the fact that Otani's contract is being cast as a $700 million deal. Okay. That's right. There mm-hmm. is no actual contract. So IRS, please don't go after Hembo. Please. All right. Uh, so last week, Teoscar Hernandez agrees to terms with the Los Angeles Dodgers. Actually, it was on Sunday night. Uh, on a one-year deal, $23.5 million, uh, you know, pretty good hitter to drop in as a side piece to this lineup, which got me to thinking about this year's odds. Because at some point this month, I'll tweet out my World Series picks, which are destined to go wrong. Uh, and, and along those lines, what I, I want to offer you this bet for this year. I'll take the other 29 teams if you take the Dodgers. Are you taking their bet? So I need you to be more specific with what we're agreeing to here, because obviously there's going to be millions of dollars that subsequently change hands. Are you talking about to win the championship or are you talking about to win the World Series best record? OK, um, if that is the case, Buster, I am taking the field and not the Dodgers. I'm 100 percent certain that the Dodgers are going to have the best regular season record in baseball. They played at a 106 win pace over the last four years, and this is a more talented roster than any of them. They just won 100 games in a freaking rebuild, and the Padres are down, and the Giants are average, and the Rockies stink. But I think the sort of beauty, and the curse, but the beauty of baseball's new postseason format, Buster, I think it makes you dynasty-proof. I think it renders the Dodgers like only so much of a favorite because it requires you to win so many rounds no matter how good you are in the regular season. We've seen that year after year after year. 
Are they the favorite to win it all? Yes. And they will be for the foreseeable future. But by no means can I take the um, Dodgers over the field, given the fact that we have as many rounds in the playoffs as we do. Agree or disagree? I agree with you 100%. We saw it in the World Series last year, an 84-win Arizona Diamondbacks team take on the Texas Rangers, who didn't win their division. They lost it at the back end. The Rangers now being the World Series champions. When you look at the Dodgers roster, what are what do you see as the potential cracks? Because I think it's pretty obvious. Yeah, I was going to reach so, out to my fellow Vanderbilt guy, Walker Bueller, this week, because I really feel like when you look at that roster, the starting pitching is still a question mark for me. It's a question mark for me, but on paper, you're looking at a pretty thick one through four if you assume Walker Bueller is going to be Walker Bueller. Now, the health is going to be the concern here, and so that's my answer to the question. It's the health of Tyler Glasnow, and it's going to be the health of Walker Bueller because we know that Glasnow has a long and storied history of arm injuries, and we know that Walker Bueller is coming off of a substantial one. But we also know that the Dodgers do a better job than any team in baseball in, in developing their pitching and being able to enable them to produce in the big leagues in small bunches and bite size. And that's why I'm not that concerned about those injuries. They're going to make sure that those guys are 100% when they get to October. So maybe they'll sacrifice a few regular season wins to get there. But it's going to be the health of those guys in the starting rotation. I suppose you can look at any bullpen and say there could be cracks or there could be holes. But an executive as good as Andrew Friedman is not going to allow the bullpen to be the reason his team doesn't reach its ceiling. To me, it's the health of the starting pitchers, which candidly is probably the pitfall of almost any team in the whole sport. So this week we got uh, a question from the folks at ESPN.com asking about a bold prediction for the second half of the offseason. My bold prediction is that the Boston Red Sox will do something aggressive. They'll make a large investment of some kind. And my reasoning is because they have to. Like to me, they have no choice because of what you know, uh, Tom Warner, their chairman, said, saying that this offseason, the Red Sox were going to go full throttle. Uh, look, there's still Blake Snell on the board. There's still Jordan Montgomery on the board. You can go and make a trade for Dylan Cease. They have to do one of those things. Otherwise, the narrative is locked in for their season coming up, which is if they don't go out and do something and they finish in last place or fourth place in the American League East, the whole year – all the talk in the media in Boston is going to be about how, well, the Red Sox went full throttle. They did nothing, and they finished in last place, and that would essentially sabotage Craig Breslow's first year as head of baseball operations. Uh, so as we go forward, I think they're going to wind up doing something aggressive for the same reason they signed Rafael Devers, because they had no choice. Otherwise, they're going to be giving tickets away again in September to college students in Boston. What say okay. you about a, a bold choice? Here's what I got. I, I love where you went, and I want to um, double back on yours rather than give you mine because I think the Red Sox are as fascinating a team as there is. Um, this is a team that ranked 25th in run prevention during Bloom's tenure as uh, general manager. And Craig Breslow was asked about his pitching philosophy recently, and he answered this way. Fundamentally, the goal of pitching is to prevent runs from being scored, and I think you can do that by generating swings and misses, by limiting walks, and by managing hard contact. So those are the three things that he cares about. The GM of the Red Sox cares about when it comes to preventing runs, swings and misses, limiting walks, and managing hard contact. For those reasons, Buster, from his, these are from his lips. I think Jordan Montgomery is going to be the pitcher that they target. Over the last two seasons, I'm going to give you the last two seasons so we don't wind up just using his contract year, which we know can be an outlier. He's in the 73rd percentile in swing and miss, 81st percentile in walk avoidance, and the 75th percentile 
and average exit velocity. The three things that Breslow cares about the most, you can't say the same about um, Marcus Stroman, and you can't say the same thing about Blake Snell. It's Montgomery, who's well above average by all three measures. So to me, if I'm in his shoes, that's number one. That's the guy I'm targeting in the free agent market. And the second thing I'm doing, Buster, the Red Sox are the perfect fit for Hassan Kim from San Diego. He is he is the best defensive infielder in baseball, I think, and that is a full stop. This is a plus-plus defender at three positions with the floor of a league average hitter. The Red Sox last year, Buster, were minus 50 outs above average defensively. That was 35% worse than literally any other team in baseball. They also finished dead last in the American League in defensive efficiency. I know that's a stat that Alex Cora cares about a lot because he asked me about that when he was an ESPN employee. All this to say, the Red Sox need to get way better in run prevention. And I think Jordan Montgomery and Hassan Kim can go a long way in making those two things happen. So if I'm running that team, those are the two guys that I'm targeting. And, and look, for me, I think Jordan Mon- – and I agree with you about Jordan Montgomery for the Red Sox. He would make sense in, in this regard as well. I'd rather pay him, overpay him as a free agent than I would to trade prospects from my farm system. I think mm. if you look at coming out of the Heinblum's uh, time at, at a baseball operation for the Red Sox, in theory, one thing he began to do is be, he began to turn around the farm system. Am I going to rip up those roots – Right in the first year to you know to uh, to go trades for someone like a Dylan Cease or Corbin Burns. No, that doesn't make any sense to me. Go uh, use the resource that you have, which is a lot of payroll flexibility at this point. Go overpay Jordan Montgomery, make that better, as you say. And I agree with you about the infield, but I do think that the defensive metric, and I want to get your view on this. Uh, the defensive metric that you cited is not going to get better until they make a hard decision on Rafael Devers. And say, you know what? We're gonna we're gonna move him around. We're gonna put him at second base on some days. We might wind up DHing him more than we did in the past, but we can't have exposure at third base that often because he's he struggles that much. Uh, I agree with that. R- Rafael Devers has a bat sent from the heavens, but it's a glove that's not good and it's never getting better. It's minus fifty three defensive run save for his career. It was minus nine last year. And you pair that with Trevor Story, who we know cannot go to his right because he does not have the same arm strength that he once did. You're talking about a major, major liability on the left side of your infield buster. But if you would have add Hassan Kim, who can play shortstop at a high level, all of a sudden you can make yourself feel better in that regard. That's why I think he'd be an ideal fit. But you're 100% right. Rafael Devers needs to play first base for you. Um, and then you can have some kind of rotation platoon situation with he and Tristan Casas, who really came on strong the second half of last season. You're right, though. If you're going to play him at third base 150 games a year, your infield defense can only be so good. But there's no question in my mind that they need to major in run prevention. They need to major in run prevention with future moves. And if that enables you to raise the floor of your team, I think that's probably what they're going for. But the combination of, of the pitching and the defense in there, I think, I think that's the blueprint. But Rafi Devers can't play third base, at least for not much longer. So Chris Getz, the head of baseball operations for the White Sox, came out yesterday and said, well, we may not trade uh, Dylan Cease until, you know, the spring, or maybe we trade him at the deadline. Like, no, 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 no. He's going to be traded at some point before the start of spring training. Uh, it's a competitive situation. There are a number of teams involved. You know, what do you see in the Dylan Cease trade talks at this point? I see um, a potential Cy Young arm for a – potential World Series contender, which is to say I would be willing to move heaven and earth for Dylan Cease, a pitcher that I steadfastly believe in. Obviously, he was better in 2022 
than he was in 2023. He finished as the Cy Young runner-up in the American League that season. And over the last two years, it's 441 strikeouts, and he's allowed 298 hits. That is an absolutely preposterous ratio, and it's not like you can't see it. Buster, I mean, you can see it. Like, the stuff plays. It's, I mean, the curveball might well be the best pitch in baseball. There's often, you know, the disagreement uh, in the scouting community, you know, command versus control. I happen to think that the mechanics are good enough and that the stuff is good enough that Dylan Cease could turn himself into Max Scherzer. Buster, I've said it before and I'll say it again. They have near identical numbers at this stage in their career through their age 27 season, a similar workload, similar walk issues, similar swing and miss stuff. Max Scherzer, with that quirky delivery, turned himself into a Hall of Fame pitcher. That is on the list of options for Dylan Cease. I think he has the repertoire to do it, but he's not had the coaching to do it. And you put him on the Astros, you put him on the Dodgers, you put him on the Orioles, you put him um, somewhere where he is in a friendly environment with the kind of coaching that he needs, with a catcher that can frame his stuff, with the kind of pitch mix profile that they maximize with all the the, the science and math that they have to be able to maximize that data. I think you're talking about someone that could win a Cy Young award in the next two seasons and give himself a Garrett Cole type contract. I'm as high on that guy as anyone that you'll find. And another part that, uh, of Dylan Cease is very similar to Max Scherzer is his accountability and his curiosity. I mean, I had hmm. enough conversations with him where you can tell he's a guy that if you have, if you're a pitching coach, if you're a team and you have good ideas, he will be open-minded he will have the thought right. He, he'll want to talk through it. There's some guys that are stubborn that won't adapt. You know, I think Justin Verlander would be the first guy to tell you that early in his career, he bullied hitters, right? And then it took him a little while. He got he had to get knocked around a little bit. Whereas I think, I, I do think Dylan sees a lot like Max in that there's a natural curiosity about information. So Can I add one more name to that comp? I think that a lot of people forget that Garrett Cole in Pittsburgh was not Garrett Cole in Houston or Garrett no. Cole with the Yankees. But Garrett right. Cole, like Dylan Cease, is bright. He got to Houston. They let that four-seam fastball live above the barrel. They modified his pitch mix, and he was as dominant in those two seasons. And honestly, I don't think Dylan Cease's pure stuff is all that much worse, if any worse, than what Garrett Cole was at that juncture in his career. Some team is going to win a lot of games because they trade for Dylan Cease. I feel confident in saying so. All right, Hembo. Thanks for doing this. And again... We don't actually have a $710 million con $701 million contract with Hembo. AR IRS got to lay off my back. Later, yeah. friends. Get out of here, Hembo. Right, Sick exactly of Hembo. Right. This is the Numbers Game with Sarah Langs. Sarah Langs, reporter, producer for MLB.com. Sarah, how you doing this week? I'm doing great, Buster. How are you? I'm doing okay. Uh, we are getting ready for the Hall of Fame announcement that'll come later this month out of Cooperstown. Uh, and, and to me, you know, the, there's no question that Adrian Beltre is going to be voted into the Hall of Fame this year. I mean, he'll get in with a significant percentage. I do think he should be a guy who should get 100%. I think that he should be unanimous selection for the Hall of Fame. Uh, <laughs> you don't like to go negative. But can you imagine any reasons why he wouldn't be voted into the Hall of Fame? I mean, I really can't. And, you know, I think I've said this on here before. There should be a lot more guys who are unanimous yes. than we've seen. Obviously, I mean, the fact that the one that always comes to mind is Willie Mays. And the fact that he wasn't unanimous makes no sense whatsoever. But I do hope that moving forward, since we've had Rivera, we have more, I believe, on the um, 
not Mr. Tibbs, Ryan Tibbs, or Shocker. We already have one ballot without Beltre, I believe, in the public realm. I think so, but I don't know what that explanation was, and I agree with you. I mean, so many of these guys should be unanimous as a testament to what they did in their careers. Yeah, he's one of the greatest third basemen of all time. Uh, I'm looking at the awards. Five gold gloves, 3,166 hits. He was known as a gamer. You know, Terry Francona, when he managed the Red Sox, would tell stories about how when he didn't play him, when he didn't put him in the lineup, like like Adrian Beltre would be mad. Adrian Beltre was furious uh, whenever he had those moments when he, he wouldn't see his name in the lineup. Uh, you know, a lot of stories, uh, you know, along those lines. Uh, very distinguished during the course of his career. All right, let's play the numbers game. Number three. Number three is 125. So as I mentioned last week, it's top 10 season, especially for me. We have shows airing on MLB Network over the next few weeks with the top 10 in each position. Tonight is catcher. So I have one of my favorite stats from my catcher list on my mind. That's for Adley Rushman. So he is the first catcher in baseball history with at least a 125 OPS plus in each of the first two seasons of his career with at least 400 playing appearances in each of them. And I posted this a while back and I love when an objective fact Guess people arguing with it, but people are pointing out guys who had a September call up and then did the what have you. First season of your career is the first season you play a game. So, unfortunately, if you were a September call up, you wouldn't make this, but that's part of what makes Adley so special. Then he came up, he started toward the beginning of a season, and he was really, really good from the get go. So, the first guy to do that in each of his first two seasons as a catcher, just incredible to me. Number two. Number two is four and a half. So uh, tomorrow on Thursday, we'll be talking about shortstop. And I think we have to acknowledge that Francisco Lindor has managed to become somehow maybe underrated despite being a superstar playing on the biggest stage in New York. I think people must take him for granted. Maybe that's a bit different than underrated, but he has had at least four and a half wins above replacement on baseball reference in six seasons of his career. He just played his age 29 season. That is time for the fourth most season and at least that much war by any shortstop through the 829 season behind only Archie Bond, who always comes up with these kind of lists, when I'm and Alice Rodriguez and Cal Ripken Jr. with the 8 each through that age. So the fact that Francisco Lindor is on that list is something that I feel like might surprise people in this day and age and just a reminder of how good he has been. Number one. Number one is 30. So another shortstop who I think is very much worth mentioning in that top tier these days is Bobby Wint Jr. So we had a 30-30 season in 2023 
So did Francis Wander. They were two of just a handful of guys to have a 30-30 season. Astro Shorsov, Joey Haley Ramirez, Jimmy Rollins, Alex Rodriguez, and Barry Larkin. But the amazing thing about Bobby Witt, he is projected by Seymour on Fangraphs to have another 30-30 season in 2024. No shortstop has done that multiple times. I know we have different roles now. Maybe stolen bases are a bit easier to come by. Most of these guys who were shortstop and came close to a 30-30 season were not lacking the stolen bases. They were lacking the home runs. So the fact that he's the guy who's going to have that power and speed in that position is really, really incredible. So just a, a couple of follow-ups to the notes that you just gave. One with Francisco Lindor. I can tell you that the coaching staff, the former coaching staff who had in the last two years, they loved Lindor. Like I know everyone, you know, his nickname is Mr. Smile and he's got the huge contract and the big flash. These guys loved his work ethic and they talked about on a day-to-day basis how he would post up that they would they were aware of injuries that he had and that he played through he never complained he just got himself ready to play and was and uh, even as the Mets went through you know the the terrific 101 regular season of 2022 and then last year through the disappointing season on a day in and day out basis Lindor was there and he was answering even through the worst you know one of the worst seasons in baseball last year he was uh, prepared to help them win on a daily basis. And they, they, that group of coaches walked away with tremendous admiration for him. And I'm going to give you an impossible question on my second follow-up, okay? And there's a chance that Taylor's going to yell at you. I'm just going to get, I'm going to give you a heads up on this, okay? If you had to take the career, if you could take the career of only one Oriole player for the rest of his career, who's going to have the best career? Adley Rutschman. Gunnar Henderson or Jackson Holiday? Oh Who would you gosh. take among those three? It's I mean, we, we can actually talk about it like an early Hall of Fame vote because all three of these guys seem to have that sort of potential liftoff here. They really do, and it's incredible to have these guys. I mean, Adley was the guy who, when I did top 10, I ranked before he'd ever played in the majors. I did the exact same thing with Jackson Holiday this year. Came very close with Gunnar last year. I think I will take Adley only because of the position he plays. And I think that being as good as he is an MVP candidate, you're in and you're out. That catcher is still something we see a bit less frequently than any other position. But I mean, I'm expecting Jackson Holiday to come up be the best player we've ever seen. I mean, that's what everything is telling us. So it's an impossible choice, which is a really good thing for Taylor and all of Baltimore. Man. Taylor, were you going to yell at Sarah? No, no. How could you yell at her? There's this, you could go down any door and it would be, it would feel right. I feel like the hype, it keeps building on these guys. And I, I think I'd go Jackson holiday. Haven't seen him on a major league baseball field, but I mean, he feels inevitable at this point. Yeah. And I think he'll, He'll have a breezy transition into the big leagues because he knows nothing but the big leagues, you know, having grown up in clubhouses. So I'm sure there's going to be knees there. And the idea that it feels like that we're underrating Gunnar Henderson, you know, how great he was last year in the athleticism. Man, 
Kill it. Wouldn't it be nice if the Orioles went out and spent some money on pitching? Oh, don't be a silly lad, Buster. That's not going to happen. <laughs> All right. Sarah, thanks for doing this. Thanks so much for having me, Buster. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes. The clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems, with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, 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 with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. The NFL schedule drops this week, and you can be there to catch all the action live and in person with Vivid Seats. Experience every touchdown, every tackle, and every eye-popping play of your favorite team. And to kick it off, Vivid Seats, the official ticketing partner of ESPN, is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code BASEBALL. That's code BASEBALL. Download the app or visit VividSeats.com today. That's VividSeats.com today, code BASEBALL. Vivid Seats, experience it live. Dick Peavy was an all-star in the big leagues. He's joining us again on the podcast. Peavy, how you doing? I'm doing great, Buster. Happy New Year. I think it's, I've heard it's too late to say that, but not in my book. Happy New Year, pal. Yeah, happy New Year to you, too. Uh, although it's been kind of a, a rough couple days for you and folks down uh, down in Alabama with everything that you're going through, the storms that passed through. Give us an update. Yeah, no, I appreciate it, Buster. Uh, you mentioning that. We did have some storms, some some winter storms come through overnight. Uh, just this past Monday night, and, and our brothers to the east of us, Panama City, had some devastating tornadoes. We had uh, uh, some of those effects. We're, we're in cleanup mode, but uh, look, it's always fun to take a break and talk baseball with you, pal. All right. Uh, and the name that's being talked a lot about these days is Dylan Cease, uh, Chicago White Sox pitcher who came close to winning a signing award a couple of years ago. Uh, first off, the team that gets Cease, and I don't think there's any question the White Sox are going to make the right decision to trade him now to get value at a time that they're rebuilding. Tell me about uh, what a, a team gets when they get Dylan Cease. Well, look, I, you're exactly right. I, I think this is interesting. With the free agent market slow to develop, I, I know uh, I, I know Chris Getz played with Chris Getz. I love what he's doing, heard what he has said, and, and know that he's looking for – a win-win package because of who Dylan Cease is. This guy, if he's on the open market, it, where does he slot in? I potentially could put him and make a case that he would be over Snell, over some of these the other guys out there, Montgomery's and this and that. Those guys um, not taking away anything. But Dylan Cease, last three years, Buster, 30 starts. You can count on this guy. He's reliable. He's a bulldog, swing and miss stuff. Another thing, I think he can get better. I think if you talk to him, he would tell you, I'm walking too many guys. He, he's so um, able to get out of those jams because of 220-plus strikeouts or so each of the last three years, and, and I think this guy's got upside. So for me, I, I look at it as you're getting a $100-plus million player. What is he worth? He's worth a lot of my 
top prospects. I, I love prospects, but um, and we see what you can do with them with Baltimore and some of these teams that are building in, in Arizona just went to the World Series on the backs of prospects and some veteran leadership. But Dylan Cease, to me, I don't know how Baltimore, some of these teams who don't want to spend this money, part with some of these system players for two-plus years of a guy that I think he's in a positive environment, a winning culture environment. He's the front-end guy that wins your big playoff games for you. I was saying earlier on the show that one of the things I like about Dylan Cease is when you have a conversation with him, boy, is he open-minded. There's a curiosity for him. He's not sitting up there saying, I figured it out. You know, I'm the man and I'm not going to make any adjustments. I think he's always going to be a guy who's going to make adjustments as he goes through his career, which is why I agree with you. I think he could get better. Um, you, you know, you touched on the question of what team you feel like might need to go out and make a deal. What team do you feel like? Give me the a couple teams you feel like are under pressure to go get a Dylan Cease right now. And well, I don't know how anybody uh, is, is – I mean, it all points to Baltimore for me, Buster. Look what that team consists of. Look at the, the, the player – position player control and talent that they have and what they already showed. Brandon Hyde gets all the credit in the world for taking yep. a lot of what he, he learned and was instilled in that Cubs value of winning. He's brought that to Baltimore. They just need some arms. I don't know how they're not in um, – the front running for Dylan Cease. I think they are, but look, Corbin Burns is another name. And I would love to see that ownership just spend some money. It's time. You've got to get that team in the playoffs with a legitimate one or two starters that are counted on to go win those games. And, um, and the playoffs are a different animal. That team is going to perennially seemingly for the next four or five years be in or, or right around that peripheral, get them some starting pitching that we know everyone needs. Dylan Cease is the guy. So I'm going to back you up on that. Last uh, August, I think it was, John Angelos, uh, the owner of the Orioles, uh, you know, did an interview with the New York Times in which he talked about, boy, we're going to have to raise prices like crazy because affording the you know Adley Rutschmans of the world, and I'm paraphrasing, uh, that's going to be really difficult. Well, a couple things about that. We've also heard since then that the Orioles might be up for sale at some point. Shoot. If you go out and have a great season in 2024, even a great start to the season, and you're looking at potential championships going forward, that's only going to add to your value. And if you feel like you're cash poor and you don't want to spend $200 million on Blake Snell, then go and get Dylan Cease, who you know right. cost you probably 20 to $25 million over the next two years. And yeah, you're going to give up prospect value, but they've got that. So, Taylor, I mean, you're the Oriole guy, so chime in. What do you think about what Jake said? Oh, I'm totally with you, Jake. I mean, this is, if not now, when? I mean, we Buster and I, we talked about it extensively last year. Like, you don't know when you're going to get these these windows to compete for a championship. So, so you got to go out there and make waves. So they need to do something now. I've seen some, you know, trades floated out there. Some of them seem a little bit heavy, but I mean, the Orioles are loaded. This is why you this is why you tank. This is why you have the prospects. Let's go out and get a get an ace. Yeah. Well, it's a thing. Well, sorry, Buster, but the thing against prospect, Dylan Cease is proven. He's got experience on his side Mm -hmm. and the ability to grow now off that experience and get better, especially in a winning environment, you know, with a new coach and system around him. And and with Buster already hitting on his curiosity and and willingness to want to be the best. So I, I would give up my prospects. I'm telling you, these prospects don't always turn out. Jackson Holiday. In the Oriole prospects, they, they all are 
seemingly on their way to being superstars. Gunnar Henderson has holds a soft spot in my heart. Got the coach, Gunnar. Um, but uh, look, hey, while we're on the ownership thing, I, I want to just point out what Peter Seidler, the late great Peter Seidler, did in that Padres system in those last years of living. Man, you talk about live like you were dying. This man certainly did that, um, you know, and, and went for it in a way I've never seen ownership kind of commit and give the baseball operations, um, you know, a, a hand to deal um, like they did. So, uh, and they absolutely sent San Diego heads over heels on baseball. You can't get a ticket out there, a good one. Uh, it's it's buzzing. Even with last year's disappointment, the, the moves and, and the stuff that they've made a headway with as far as their fan base and selling out the stadium and now the sponsorships around that, even with just punching through a year ago and having the year they are here, the TV money is, is a different story. But other than that, Eric Grutner and that CEO um, group around Eric, the CEO, excuse me, um, they're doing fabulous things. Yeah, and, and uh, you and I can speak to with some uh, different context than a lot of people because I started my career covering Major League Baseball for the covering the Padres for the Union Tribune. Uh, and spent years there. I was covering the team when they went through the fire sale of Sheffield and McGriff and all those stars. You know, you played for them for years. Uh, and in baseball circles, when people talk about the Padres, they always bring up the fact that, boy, they got a lot of debt on the books. Uh, and I agree with that. I think some of the mistakes, some of the contracts they did last year, the Cronenworth trade may have been a or signing may have been a, a bridge too far. Some, you know, they overpaid Xander Bogarts. Okay. But you know what? The, the the place that Major League Baseball has in San Diego right now is priceless. Like, I agree with you. To go there and to say that San Diego, of all places, might have the best baseball atmosphere, what a platform to build from. I've never seen it like this, Buster. I, you know, we had some glory years, and we, we were battling the Cardinals and getting put out of the playoffs. We went to Petco, and I watched downtown go crazy. What I'm seeing, not just downtown, all around, you know, when I go up the coast and eating here, there and seeing friends, I still like I'm going to spend all next week with Tom Seidler and, and um, in the Padre staff going to make a fantasy um, camp appearance <laughs> that I'm excited about. We'll see what the old arms got left. But um, no, look, you're exactly right. You spend some money. I know there's some debt on the books. I, I can agree with a lot of what you said. That some of that's scary. But again, the position that they're in, the town's on fire for baseball, and, and I'm excited. Look, it, it, uh, again, I brought all of this up to say my heart is, is with the Siler family, the whole Padre family. Um, but what they're carrying on and they're ready to carry on in, in, in his memory is, is remarkable. All right. A quick aside, I, I want to pick up a thread you just mentioned. You're, you're going to be throwing in a fantasy camp. Uh, last week or 10 days ago, I spoke with Roger Clemens. And he mentioned that uh, he still probably throws in the range. He still throws a ton. Uh, he says he probably throws in the range of 80 to 85 miles per hour now. What about you? I, you know, I can – I'd say about the same. I don't do any throwing is my problem. I, I, I tell you this, <laughs> I've, got some, I've got some pitching appearances on the books, the Savannah Bananas and what Jesse Cole and those guys are doing around baseball and their own version of it is remarkable. I'm a huge fan. I've been a part since their first world tour. It's going to pitch in Fenway Park, um, hopefully later in the summer with those guys at, um, 
So I am getting in shape, and this fantasy camp is going to be my my measuring stick. Well, I bet but you. I think you... I got eighty five, Buster. Nice. Well, if you need a throwing partner, you probably go down to Texas, and Roger would do that with you as you get ready to ramp up here. Uh, all right. So the next two weeks will be dominated by Hall of Fame conversation. And the great thing about you, one of the great things about you, Jake, is that you are a tremendous storyteller. And as I got ready for today, I'm like, you know what? He's got stories on everybody. So let's talk about the guy who's going to get the highest voting percentage in the voting this year. And that's going to be Adrian Beltre. Uh, give me a story about Adrian Beltre. Well, you know, I, I wish I had more in-depth personal story on Beltre. I, I, I thought about each one of these. I just think about 04. 04 was my coming on the scene party. I felt like I had had a few years under my belt. L.A. was in our division. I knew Adrian Beltre up and down. He was hitting sixth or seventh in that lineup. Sean Green and Karos and some of those guys was really worried about. 04, I, I felt like I was getting better. David Wells and Woody Williams were teaching me my craft, and now Adrian Beltre turns into a player like, like Barry Bonds was up in the Bay. I, I don't know. I mean, uh, I'm – spouting off but 330 ish plus with close to 50 home runs he was hitting fourth and a force to be reckoned with from that time on he just figured it out and got him up to seattle scott Morris took him i know that had to it crushed la but when you watch from seattle to boston short stint to what he meant in texas he should be every kid's role model of 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 playing the game with such professionalism but having fun he smiled but my God, could he play third base? And, and and when you start to hit like that and play both sides of the ball, and then you're, you know, infiltrating your whole team with your attitude and your your way you're going about it. Adrian Beltre, first ballot Hall of Famer, he should get the most votes. Longevity too. Greatness comes with longevity. You know that, Buster. Oh yeah, Todd Helton, first baseman for the Colorado Rockies. Well, look, I'll tell a quick story on Todd Helton. I had this same instance happen with Barry Bonds. I got to face Barry in his last at bat. And I tell you, I, I, I come up and cut my teeth early 2000s in L West. The NL West is now becoming the AL East with the superstars that we have in it current day. When I got in it, those Dodger teams had some superstars all up and down it. Every lineup, Barry Bonds was it. But Todd Helton, um, I got to do the same thing with Barry. I faced him in, in his last game in Colorado. I'm a 13 Boston Red Sox, and now I'm pitching against Todd Helton. And I, I thought it was so cool because I'd had so many memorable battles, and I don't really um, know if Todd gets his due because I think Coors Field hurts. Um, those stats get inflated to a point where it hurts who he was. But I faced him day in, day out. He was no different than the Louis Gonzalez's and the the, the – Barry Bonds and the Sean Greens that were all up and down the, the NL West. I faced him that last night. In Bonds' last game, in his last at bat, I got to tell Barry, hey, here, give the people what they want. He flew out late. Barry gave me a hug on the field. Didn't work out quite like that with Todd. He never knew what was coming at all. But we got an early lead, and I got to feed Todd, you, you know, um, in that last game. I got to challenge him and go at him. He doubled and hit a homer in that last game. And then from pregame ceremony, us scoring a bunch of runs, I, I won the game, so it was never kind of in question. We had had six, seven, eight runs by the fourth inning. So I was in that lineup with Tulo and, and Blackman and, and Kadire that could hit. Todd Helton's last game was memorable for him. It was memorable for me 
as a competitor to, to make sure he got to swing the bat um, and do what he did. I didn't give it any of it to him. He earned it. Um, I can back you up on that story. I don't know if you remember this. I texted you right after. I think I sent the text during the game because I watched the plate appearance and I was like, okay, did you, did you give him a cookie? And I think you sent back a smiley face, you know, cause I had been there before and I, I've told the story on the podcast about how this goes on more than people realize. It's a sign of respect for the, oh. you know, for great players. When I was covering the Orioles, Mike Messina in Lou Whitaker and Alan Trammell's last game uh, in Detroit, Messina was just feeding them and just giving it, trying to give them a chance to finish with a, a great moment. And I don't see it as much these days. And it kind of bums me out a little bit because I think it's such a great sign of respect, uh, something that you did with Todd Helton and Messina did. Uh, Denny McLean did it with Mickey Mantle. It's gone on for years. No, that's right. It's 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 a, a huge respect thing, and when it just lines up right, like I, I lined up right with that night with Barry. And again, for me to be sitting in both of these situations, it's going to win the game in, in the game on our side. Because to, to give up any of that, the competitive nature is too much. I got to win, pal. But I'll give you your due uh, when and, and how I can. And, and you're exactly right. I don't think Miggy got too many cookies. Uh, <laughs> Late down the stretch, uh, these it's boys kind of are all trying out. to make like, their dude, name. Give, him a, give it to him. It's just got to line up where there's experience and the guy on the mound is comfortable enough to be okay with, with, with a bad result uh, with a guy who can really still swing the bat. But Todd Helton, let's talk about him swinging the bat. But people don't forget that back went bad. But for a long time, he was gold glove over there at first base. This guy was both sides of the ball. Competitor. Grunting up there like a tennis player every Every. All right, let's touch on a few guys who are in the Hall of Fame. I know you know Trevor Hoffman. I've got a million Trevor Hoffman stories uh, from the time I covered the Padres, but you got better ones, I'm sure. Well, look, I, I, I don't know if we – my Hoffman stories are, are anywhere from, from fun in the clubhouse to outrageous in, in the suite. I, I'll tell you this. I don't think if, – if I could do something again in my playing days, I get asked often, what do you miss? I miss sitting on the back of an airplane with Trevor Hoffman having his jukebox next to him. He's an incredible DJ. His great musical knowledge, palette, he touches all genres. He makes everybody feel included. Um, he was an incredible DJ. And, and we always, on you know being in San Diego, got to chase the sun home on Sundays. When we were, we were coming back, we were always coming back most of the times from the Midwest or the East and and would chase the sun and, and Hoffie's DJ uh, skills. People don't know they're also a Hall of Fame, but uh, sitting on the back of the plane, going to the suite afterwards, Hoffie taught us everything. I taught me everything, Buster, from um, how to be a teammate, how to be on time, how to outwork everybody. And, and if I could walk in after seven plus, I got to throw seven a lot. Both we had always had great setup guy in the seventh. I, in my job for the longest, and you go back and look at, at 2007, my best year, seven innings was my my deal. I knew I was throwing seven on my day, and when I would come in, Hoffy would still be in his stretch routine and getting ready to go out, and, and I knew I had done my job. It was always a tight one in Petco. It wasn't like we were blowing anybody out, right? And so. Um, Getting the Hoffy didn't speak to anybody in it. When he started his routine, he he was there day in day. I don't know if it was ten to nothing. Hoffy was getting ready like it was one to nothing. And uh, 
But after I went out there and did what I was supposed to do and put a bunch of zeros up, he would give me that nod and, and uh, I'd tell him to go take care of it. And, and he did it a lot. So I owe a lot to Hoffy um, on and off the field. Tony Gwynn. Tony Gwynn for me is the cab rides. I, you know, I didn't, I, I got to touch Tony a little bit as a, as a, a player in spring training. His, my most prized days are when he was a broadcaster calling the games for Channel 4. Those times, I would love to talk to a hitter. I, and it, hitters, especially one with some wherewithal, would tell you what the other lineup was trying to do. Sometimes Adam Dunn was great at this. You would look, Adrian Gonzalez, I would look at these players, and they knew what the other player was trying to do because they were paying attention in, in that way. I would take cab rides every chance I could. Back in the day when we all took cabs to the field, you know, kept our receipts and <laughs> wrote them off. Me and Tony, <laughs> I, um, he got to where he knew I loved it. And we would talk about the opposition. And I can remember going to the vet with Tony Gwynn and us talking about Jim Tomey and Mike Lieberthal and, and Tomas Perez and, and how we were going to get him out and having um, that knowledge, knowing he was going to be calling a game. And, and, and then, I would go back and rewatch the games and a lot of what we were talking about, I was out there trying to execute. So I think it was fun for him. And then look, I got really tight and we got to play with junior funny story to tie Hoffy in, in 2007, most heartbreaking uh, end of the season as I had in my big league career. We're in Milwaukee needing one more win on Saturday and we have a lead Hoffy's in the game, two outs, Tony Gwynn juniors, pinch hitting maybe or maybe in the lineup and he doubles to tie the game we end up going on the lose champagne's ready to pop there's no colorado run in 2007 if that game goes different but gwen jr broke our heart as fate would have it hoppy versus gwen jr and he breaks our heart um and then gwen came back and, and, and what a job he's doing now for the padres on the radio yeah i remember the ball being pulled the right field corner uh with the the uh, the hit that he had and thinking to myself, boy, you know, as, as Trevor joined the Padres, Anthony Gwynn was one of those guys climbing around the lockers, you know, <laughs> 11, 10, 11 years old. And, you know, how Trevor was processing all that. And one quick story about Tony that I, you know, because he was so nice. And the great thing about Tony, and you're great about this, too, is that you love to talk baseball and you love to share that passion with fans. And so Tony That's knew right. when I covered him as a player that when I asked him a question, it wasn't only for me but he would be letting other people inside. And it was part of the reason why he loved to talk. And so I, I once called him up when Bonds was in his heyday and I asked him, tell me about what Barry Bonds sees when the pitcher's coming through his delivery. And he talked about how literally Barry would see the ball as, it, as the, the hand was crossing by the pitcher's ear. That's when Barry identified what the pitch was. And I just, you know, followed up and I said, well, Tony, how do you know that? He goes, cause I see the same thing. <laughs> right. I mean, and I love that hitter's arrogance, you know, and the knowledge. Those guys were seeing it so deep. They, they, they were seeing the ball so deep. And you're right. They were picking it up and, and concentrating in a way, you know. Tony Gwynn did those eye tests. I mean, we now know that our eyes are a muscle and you can work them out. There's all kind of, you know, advantages hitters are now doing. This guy was, was sitting in the locker, gave it to Klesko and those guys, the beads. Yes. Tony did that every day hanging from his locker. Tony loved Krispy Kreme. That was my way to his heart. If there was a Krispy Kreme around, <laughs> you got some um, Man, so many stories about him. All right, Pete, thanks for doing this. Uh, I look forward to talking to you again soon. Buster, I appreciate you, pal. 
Bleacher Tweets. Alrighty, Buster. Bleacher Tweets for a Wednesday. Andrew Campbell at Real Cam Drew rates him. Buster, when can we expect the update that Cody Bellinger and Blake Snell have also signed with LA and Jordan Montgomery too and probably re-signed Jock Peterson just for good measure? All like that for the league minimum this year and some Coles cash that's deferred to 2048. But um, sh- That sounds like it was coming from Bitter Boulevard, huh? <laughs> Definitely. Oh, uh, man. Yeah, but I, I, I get it, and, and I hear it all the time. I think I, I've told the story before about my son, Jake, when uh, news came down that Yamamoto had signed with the Dodgers. He basically said, baseball's not fair, and that's, you know, it's terrible. But how many straight off-seasons have we gone with a team that won the off-season did not uh, come close to, to to winning the World Series? It feels like uh, time and time again. Every you know, year. Padres last winter. Every year, the team that wins the off-season does not win. Zach Beeson writes in Buster the Cubs signing Shota. Ooh, I just read this name. Imanaga, for, yeah. yeah, for the first time last night. He writes, as good as he is, doesn't convince me they're taking the division from the 2024 NL champions, the Reds. Wow. NL champions? I would say this. NL Central, I like the fact excuse me. Reds NL are being Central. aggressive, you know? Yeah. I, I like the fact that the, the, that the Reds are actually out there spending money. I think that's cool. I do think the bar is lower in the National League Central than it is in other divisions. Uh, and there's a lot to like about the Cubs. They're going to be a great pitching and defense type team. And so you get a lefty who's a soft tosser. You know, he's kind of a Mark Burley type pitcher. He, he's going to, I think, fit in really well with that tremendous Cubs defense. The Stone King writes in, help me understand, please. The Dodgers say that they're planning on Betts being the primary second baseman in 2024. He's the best right fielder in the game. Why would you move him from that spot? Surely they can afford even a mediocre second baseman from the scrap heap. Makes no sense to me. So I don't have the numbers in front of me, and I don't even know if the numbers back up uh, the feeling that a lot of people in that organization had. You know, Mookie came up as an infielder and he really enjoyed playing the infield. And then he got moved to the outfield when he was with the Red Sox. He became, as Buck Walter said to me, maybe the best right fielder ever. That's how good he is defensively. But the Dodgers really felt that he was not nearly as engaged in recent years when he was playing the outfield as he was when he was in the infield. Like his level of attention went way up uh, at those times when he was playing in the infield. All right, here's some numbers to back it up. Maybe maybe not uh, you know the best numbers, but as a second baseman last year, his adjusted OPS was 173. His adjusted OPS when the 14 games he played shortstop last year, 185. When he was in right field, 156. So the Dodgers really felt like he was just a better player when he was in the infield. That it was just a more productive player. It's not the first time I've heard that said about a player. You know, guys who move from the infield to the outfield, sometimes it can be a struggle, Taylor. Fascinating stuff. As if Mookie Betts didn't need to be any better. He uh, more engaged in the infield, noted. Um, Let's close with a little more Dodgers talk here. Albert Payano writes, and why is Mookie Betts at the Golden Globes, which I did not see until after the fact, but as I was watching television and a little bit of the Golden Globes, Freddie Freeman also there, and I know that because he appeared in the background of a picture that someone, you know, a photographer took of Taylor Swift and was on the internet. His head is poking out from behind her. It's very funny. So I wonder how much of this is all because of Mookie's wife, who I believe, if I remember correctly from the home run over last year, I think her name is Brianna. Um, you know, I talked to her briefly, super nice. 
what Mookie basically said is, is that Brianna has increasingly said to him, hey, go and do this stuff. You know, you have an opportunity to to enjoy some of these things. And we've talked in the podcast before on the podcast before about how Freddie and Mookie become really close friends. I kind of wonder if Mookie's like, hey, I'm going to the Golden Globes. Right. And Freddie's like, OK, that sounds good. And he's all in with Chelsea. Uh, yeah, I saw those pictures. I think it's cool. I think it's neat that, uh, you know, Mookie, who generally speaking, if you were to ask me early in his career, is, is Mookie an introvert or an extrovert? I'd say absolutely he was an introvert. But as time goes on, I think he's developing this habit of veering into the wind. So when they say, hey, you want to be in the home run derby? He's saying on one side of his mouth, I have no chance to win, but you know what? I'm going to go do it. I think that's really cool. I love that Freddie Freeman and Mookie Betts are like best friends, jaunting yes. around LA, going to the Golden Globes, like arm in arm. Like what a duo. I absolutely adore that. <laughs> really cool. Yeah, I absolutely love it. All right. That's it for today. That's it for this week. Uh, my thanks today to Jake Peavy, to Paul Hembakides, to Sarah Langs, and to Taylor Schwink. Again, to be a father. Congratulations to you guys. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. And we'll, we will be back next week. We'll have more talk about uh, the Hall of Fame ballot, uh, who's going to get voted in. We'll have some more storytelling. And I'm assuming there are going to be even more transactions between now and next week's podcast. Uh, thanks for listening. And remember, uh, hate and inequality is something that we need to fight against every single day.